my belief became that if children learned how to manage their emotions at age four rather than at age 27 or 28 when I started to learn to manage mine they would have far better childhoods they would have far more productive transitions into adulthood and they would become much more productive members of society. Welcome to the Lessons Outside the Classroom podcast. I'm your host, John Anno, and this is the place where I interview experts and professionals about a range of topics related to the development of soft skills in children. You'll also get practical tips and advice on how you can help your child develop these skills. If you have a specific topic you'd like covered, please email on lessonsoutside at gmail.com. Today, I'm talking to Erica Brodnock. She's a mother of five. She's also a CEO and founder of a company called Charisma Kids, which has been created to help develop and nurture emotional intelligence in young children. It's packed full of advice. She's an extremely inspiring lady who's actually overcome a lot of challenges to get to, to where she is. In the interview, we talk about her vision and the fact that she wants all parents to be their children's best first educator. I'm really pleased to have with me today uh, on the podcast, Erica Brodnock. Erica is the CEO and founder of Charisma Kids, um, which is an online platform which looks to develop emotional intelligence in in children. Welcome, Erica. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thanks for Uh, having me. And I've got to say thank you very much for making the time. I know you've had a very busy day. You've been up in Cambridge speaking to PhD students and uh, you've managed to find a little bit of time at the end of the day to do this. So... Much appreciated. You're most welcome. Um, I'd love to start off by learning a little bit about you um, and what led you to building a business focused around developing emotional intelligence in, in children. Sure. So um, I was a young mum um, and I was considered a hard to reach mum by most of the services that were put in place to support myself and my children. And um, I struggled a lot with postnatal depression um, after the births of um, particularly my last three children. Um, I had twins and then I had a singleton and I, I struggled quite badly with postnatal depression and I got to a place where I was just fed up of um, being depressed and feeling as though my life was going round in cycles as opposed to um, moving forwards. So I found um, a whole host of tools and techniques. I went and trained with the wonderful um, Carl Dawson in um, something called emotional freedom techniques, which is tapping on the meridian points of the body with the view of freeing blocked energy. And it's a little bit like acupuncture, but without the needles, you're literally using the tips of your fingers to tap on these meridian points. And um, honestly, it changed my life. Um, I started to look at life in a slightly different way. I started to lose some of the limiting beliefs that had been holding me, um, that had been holding me back. And I started to see that I was becoming more emotionally literate, more understanding of who I am, the things that make me happy and um, and who it is that I wanted to, to be. And then also starting to look at the type of future that I wanted for my children. 
So for me, it was a case of learning some amazing tools and techniques, um, EFT, matrix re-imprinting, mindfulness, something called heart math breathing that just looks at being able to center and breathe. Um, and then wanting to be able to teach those skills to my children in a fun and engaging way. So that, um, if, my belief became that if children learned how to manage their emotions at age four rather than at age 27 or 28 when I started to learn to manage mine they would have far better childhoods they would have far more productive um, transitions into adulthood and they would become far better you know much more productive members of society so I started to look at how I might be able to teach my children these skills at the earliest opportunity. And at that time, there were a number of technical products that were competing for my children's attention. So we had things like Paper Doll Heaven, which became Star Doll, um, that my then sort of nine, ten-year-old was starting to get involved in, and she loved her Nintendo DS and my son had um, a PSP, PlayStation Portable. I remember those. Um, yeah, absolutely. And um, and um, he was also starting to get into the Moshi Monsters craze. And I started to look at how I might be able to create something that was as fun and as engaging as the things that were capturing my children's imagination and attention, but that would turn around and teach them something that would mean that they became the individuals that I wanted um, to see in the world. So, um, as I say, as I became more emotionally literate, they immediately learned from me and became more emotionally literate. Um, but then I started to look at how I could create games for them to play that would enable them to develop some of the softer skills that I now deemed to be um, uh, imperative to, um, to their future sustainability. Brilliant. So that was the inspiration for Charisma Kids? That was the inspiration for Charisma Kids. So I started to look at the fact that um, most children were spending their time online and I realised that actually um, we were coming to the point at which we were going to need to make some decisions as parents as to how long we allowed our children to spend online and um, how much was too much and, and how we were going to manage our children's consumption of technology. Um, I thought that it was important that we started to enable children to be creators of technology rather than just consumed by. Um, and so when my children started to want to spend an hour at a time sat in front of a computer screen, I was like, no, here's what we're going to do instead. And here's how we can mix and balance this. And if you go offline and do this, then you can go online and do that. And um, I started to use some of the parenting techniques that I'd learned over the years with if then and um and creating consequences for their behavior so that they started to um to learn to balance how much time they were spending online themselves and i felt i think that that was one of the um the most important gifts that i've given my children up until this point brilliant um there's been more and more talk about sort of mental health um with adults and also children. Um, how, does it, how does emotional intelligence help that? So emotional intelligence is, is literally 
just about understanding how we function emotionally it's about understanding what makes us us what makes us happy what makes us unhappy um how we fit into our own worlds and how we fit into the worlds of others um and how we relate to other people the um the the critical thinking skills that we need to be able to solve problems and to be innovative and to be creative they are all um so they all fall under the banner of emotional intelligence. So seven years ago, when I started Charisma Kids and when I started to look at this, I, I remember that Michael Gove famously said that soft skills weren't important. Um, and it was incredible because I just felt how how ridiculous I mean, you, we, we don't function without soft skills, without relating to one another. The world stops. So how he could turn around and say that the, these skills are not important is unbelievable. But I kind of felt that uh, with the rise of technology, um, in particular with the rise of technology and the um, propensity for people to kind of say, right, you know what, I'm going to do something online and be insular rather than connect. I thought it was more important than ever to ensure that we started to teach children these skills specifically to enable them to weather the storms that will come with online um, and being online 24-7. So so tell us about, see Charisma Kids is an online platform. Uh-huh. Obviously, as you've just said about a lot of children now spend a lot of time online. Can we talk through um, some of the setup and format of Charisma Kids and kind of how it how it manifests itself to really help children uh, with their emotional intelligence, resilience, and, and things you mentioned? So, um, Charisma Kids was set up with a set of games that were developed by myself and Dr. Amanda Gummer. So, Amanda's a child psychologist that specialises in parenting and play. Um, And we designed the games um, in order to start to help children to identify the the various different types of emotions. So, the the whole premise of Charisma Kids is to start to teach children from a very early age um, to understand how they feel. Um, and then that we build upon that to start to look at why they feel the way that they feel. And then um, we build further upon that to look at what they might be able to do to change the way that they're feeling. So um, in my weird and wonderful mind, um, there was a place called Moodville. And Moodville was filled with various different places. We had everywhere from Love Lane and Gratitude Gardens and the Proud Playground to the Worry Warehouse and Angry Alley and Fear Farm. And these are all, and yeah, the, the Worry Warehouse, as I was saying before. So you, these are all places that we will all need to visit from time to time. Um, and the place that were empowering um, were in the centre of town um, where in the places that um, that were less so were on the outskirts of town so what we tried to teach children is that if you need to you go and visit the worry warehouse or you go and visit fear farm but you don't live there you live in your centre in love lane or in gratitude gardens or um, in in the proud playground um, etc so we um, help children to collect happy memories that they're able to kind of um, save up and bank so that if something 
um, makes them fearful or unhappy, they're able to call upon those memories and start to look at how they shift those emotions for themselves. Um, so that's kind of the premise of um, the gaming. Um, and then we also have a parent's dashboard that enables parents to kind of one set limits as to how long their children are able to play for but then two set tasks that are offline tasks that their children need to complete um so when children enter the charisma kids world they need to build themselves an avatar and in order to turn that avatar into a superhero character they need to behave like a superhero offline for their parents um uh, so that they can earn the credits and they're called creds that they need to build their superhero character in our virtual world so everything has been set up and geared towards one you're playing games that are teaching you some skills that you're going to need to be able to manage your own emotional well-being and health and then two um, your parents are largely involved in your activities they're setting you the tasks that you need to complete such as brushing your teeth on time or being kind to your siblings or um, picking up litter outside um, that, that allows you to actually turn around and um, take the skills that you're developing online and utilize them offline so with that we're hoping that children will spend more time offline than they will on Okay, brilliant. One thing you mentioned there, which I think is quite interesting, is that you embrace the negative as well. Yeah, no, the thing with it is, is that rather than saying don't be sad, the advice that I would give to parents is um, tell their children it's okay to feel sad. But feeling sad and being sad are two completely different things because you can feel sad and then that feeling can be transient and it means that it can flow away if you choose to feel something else. If you are sad, if you be sad, that's something that's internalized and so it's a case of just trying to help children to understand that emotions are emotions and that each of them can be fleeting and we don't have to hold on to them any longer than they serve us um, and so these are the types of things that we try to educate parents around so that they are able to to not use language like don't be sad um, but it say that it's okay to feel sad but in a moment, it will also be okay to feel happy if something then makes you happy. And if you've stored up a happiness jar, for instance, with memories of when you were playing in the garden or when you were doing something that you loved with your grandparent or what have you, it means that you can turn around and say, right, okay, that made you feel sad. What will make you feel happy? Do you have anything in your happiness jar that you can think about now that will make you feel happy? And then they can turn around and choose to think about that instead um, and then the sadness will pass and the happiness will come in brilliant um, the other thing of parents because this is all well and good um, emotional intelligence you know far more than the kids understanding but something we were talking about previously is um, parents so we could have this game which is great the kids want it but if the parents themselves don't necessarily have that understanding and grasp and as we were discussing um, a lot of education comes from modelling. How would you, I guess, go about that? Because in some ways, you, you probably need the parents to be aware, <laughs> self-aware, before they can at least 
start to empower the kids to be self-aware? Sure. So that's um, part of the learning of the last seven years is that actually um, we can create games and support for children. Um, but for the most part, we need to support parents into uh, to um, being able to understand some of the things that I've just explained uh, as in the difference between feeling and being um, in order for that to really have um, the um, the effects that we want it to on on children so I'm starting to look at how we might be able to reach parents more effectively and support parents to um, to build those self-efficacy skills for them in themselves so that they can then teach those skills to their children. Okay. And from an education perspective, this doesn't seem to be something that's, that's taught in the education system at large. What's your view on the, on the education system and, and what more they potentially could be doing to guess, make it more of a rounded um, piece? So I think that um, the education system, um, I've spoken about this on on a number of talks etc so this isn't this won't come as a shock to anybody um but i do think that the current education system as it is at the moment isn't fit for purpose in in its in its current state we um tend to rely on rote learning i have 16 year olds that are doing gcse's at the moment and they are literally cramming information in before the night of an exam um or the night before an exam and um and I feel as though in this day and age, we should have moved on to something that is more efficient and effective than that. I don't think that we should be teaching our children for two years and then examining them at the end of that two years to find out whether they've learned enough or not. That is not um, sensible and it's not sustainable, particularly not when there's technology around that would enable us to track that learning day to day and see um, whether they've consolidated what they learned or not. Um, it just feels archaic. It's, you know, everything else has changed in the last 150 years and education hasn't that much. So um, I feel that there's a, a long way to go. But I do think that um, the, the time for change is now. I'm um, aware that the Department for Education and companies like Nesta are now starting to look at how they can invest in educational technology that is tech that's specifically built for educational purposes because another thing that's tended to happen over the last years is that um there will be tech that's been built for um, commerce and for business and then they kind of shoehorn it into education and then all of a sudden the school has iPads etc but they haven't been specifically built for the the needs of the children that they're serving they've been built for another purpose and then put into education so I think that there's a real opportunity to start to build education from the ground up utilizing technology I mean um, I was speaking at BET the education show in January this year and one of the things that I mentioned there is that um, Chow Ice um, is a Chinese chatbot that has declarations of love from more than 40 million people now if people can love a chatbot that much surely we can utilize the fact that a chatbot can build those feelings of um of love and concern and care 
um, to turn around and enable um, some of our teaching assistants to become digital so that we know that children are getting information that is at a pace that is right for them um, and is that we can check they're assimilating the learning and they are um, actually achieving mastery on a day-to-day basis rather than waiting to find out at the end of a year or the end of a term. And I guess to that point, the, the role of the parent um, is probably more enhanced, particularly when we start to talk about um, primary years and primary education. You've mentioned you've got five. I do. Mm. I have five Busy. children. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and what ages are they? Um, so the age range is from 21 to 12. Congratulations. Thank you. And I guess something that some of the listeners might be thinking is, obviously, Charisma Kids came out of your journey. Sure. And you've talked about some steps and things that you've done to kind of instill emotional intelligence, one in yourself, but also in your children. Mm-hmm. So I guess going on to the, the, the key question in terms of actionable insights and focusing probably on primary education, what, what tips would you give to our listeners, parents, guardians, that they could start to implement with their children um, to start to develop and grow the emotional intelligence that, that we've seen and we've heard that is so important, not just for now, but also in the world that we're, we're coming to. So I guess to put this into context, um, developing EQ um, supports children in developing IQ as well. Um, I um, have been blessed with incredibly gifted and talented children because of the fact that they develop their emotional intelligence skills that enhances their problem-solving abilities, their creativity, etc. And then they therefore do better at school and are able to achieve more. Um, so I think that one leads to the other. Um, and um, I think that parents can... the, the the best thing that parents can do is to um, is to turn around and start to look at their own levels of EQ. Um, if they can start to become a little bit more mindful, um, if they can start to become a little bit more conscious about the lessons that they're passing on to their children, um, I think that every parent is their child's first educator. It's my mission in life to make sure that, that parents can become their children's best first educator um but that starts with parents that starts with parents um wanting to um to be able to kind of connect with their children and to them initially connecting with themselves and understanding themselves understanding what their triggers are um the thing with it is is that i sit here as um one of your experts and i'm doing quotes here um because I'm not an expert I'm a mum that gets it wrong sometimes and that literally loses my rag at 10 past 8 in the morning if people haven't gone to school on time etc um so I'm by no means perfect but I do understand what my triggers are I do understand how the parenting that I received has shaped the person that I've become and the way that I then react to my children when they push my buttons um I think that children are our biggest mirrors um and they kind of shine a light on some of the traits that we dislike about ourselves the most um, and tend to keep hidden Um, and so therefore they can infuriate, infuriate us in a way that 
no one else really can sometimes. Um, so I think it's important for parents to become conscious of all of this information and then to start to take steps to ensure that they are able to, one, um, connect with their children, two, teach their children about the various different emotions um, so that children are able to identify emotions because identification is the first step. And then three, if parents learn to better manage their emotions, i.e. by saying, I feel angry, but that doesn't mean that I need to behave like an angry person, um, then their children will start to understand um, how to do that too. So you talk about identification of emotions as a, as a parent. How, because a lot of what you're saying is, is resonating, how would I go about identifying? Would it be a case of, you know, if I do shout at the kids, just catching myself and say, okay, that was angry. Why was that? Is it as simple as yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's questioning. It's, it's that internal questioning because oftentimes you'll, it, when you do the questioning, you'll find that you're shouting because that's the way that your dad used to shout at you as opposed to because you really want to shout at them at that point. Um, and it's a case of once you start to become conscious of that, then in the same way that they can choose whether they're going to go to Angry Alley or sit in Gratitude Gardens, you can too. Um, and so it's a case of um, we start to, to behave in the way that we want to see them behaving. Um, and that gives them the example to follow. And don't, you know, make no bones about <laughs> the fact that I'm saying it's easy it's not easy um it's just that the more conscious and aware we become the um the more we notice it and then as we notice we're able to stop so it's very much a journey it's a very journey. much a journey it's a, it's a continuing journey and then they turn 15 and then you you know <laughs> That's a whole different podcast. <laughs> not, not, not there yet, but yeah, I'm sure it comes soon enough. <laughs> it's a whole different podcast. But yeah, it's, it's a continual journey and um, there's no parent um, that doesn't shout or um, get angry or um, do the things that they sh shouldn't be doing. And again, I'm making quotation marks um, because... I, you know, none of us are perfect, but we just need to look at where we are at the moment, where is it that we want to be, and how can we take some um, small steps to start to move in, in that direction. And I guess one of the um, tangible things that parents could do is to um, read a book um, I think the author is called Gary Chapman, um, but I'm not 100% sure, but it is The Five Love Languages. And it's, um, it's a book that kind of helps us to understand how we like to be shown love. And so there are gifts, acts of service, um, physical touch, um, words of affirmation, and one other that I never remember because it's my least, 
it's, it's, it's the love language that I don't speak, essentially. Um, so, but there are five of them. And essentially, um, what we can do is understand what our most dominant love languages are and tell our partners because that saves a whole load of headache. Um, and then we can also work out what our children's love languages are um, so that we can start to speak to those that are closest to us in their love language. So what tends to happen is that um, we speak to people in our love language. So I like gifts and acts of service. So I will be the most committed person and I will do, if I say I'm going to do something, I'll do it, etc, etc, etc. But those are the ways that I feel that people tell me that they love me. It's not necessarily the way that you would feel that um, I loved you, mm. if you see what I mean. So if you understand what my love languages are, you can speak to me in those. And if I understand what your love languages are, I can speak to you in those. And then we both end up feeling completely loved and happy. And so if parent and child can start to understand this about each other, um, then they can start to... You you know if your child likes words of affirmation you know that you say well done that was amazing every time they do something good and actually you don't completely berate them every time they do something bad because that's going to affect them really really negatively you might take something away from them because actually their gifts is not one of their love languages or it is all five of them are everyone's but it's not one of the most prominent ones so you're not going to traumatize your child when you're punishing them right. does that make sense yeah no it does it um does. and so it's it's looking at it from that perspective and working out how we can discipline without trauma and how we can enable children to be the best that they can be um another thing that um i think is um, imperative for all parents and I will say this until the day I die probably um, is is special time or golden moments as I sometimes call them um, it's it's taking 15 minutes a day for um, children up to the age of eight and an hour twice a week for children that are over the age of eight um, and giving them amnesty to tell you anything that they want to tell you and for you to tell them things about about yourself so I was triggered into remembering special time when I mentioned love languages because that would be a great time to have a conversation about what makes them happiest um, and how they feel um, when you give them gifts and how they feel when you do this so you can find out what their love languages are but then you can also tell them what yours are so that they know that the 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 um, you know, when they get to 13, making a Mother's Day card is going to be essential. <laughs> yeah, so, if they don't want to be in the bad books. <laughs> so it's literally just sort of sitting down with your, your child um, and sort of saying that it's a special time. Yeah. You spend 15 minutes yeah. um, just chatting. You can tell me Absolutely anything. Want. Anything that's happened. Um, and you, you make sure that they know that whatever's spoken about in special time is completely confidential and will never be used against them and um, will, will, they won't get in trouble for it. Um, you know, I have a 21-year-old that phones me up from university and says, Mum, can I have special time? And tells me everything that goes on um, 
till today and that's been our relationship right the way through and it's the same with all of my children they know they can tell me anything if it's framed in special time because um they're not going to get into trouble and I think that that's that that is one of the reasons that I've been able to um, to raise children that don't end up in situations that I ended up in when I was their age because actually they have discussions about it and I don't tell them off, I just ask them to think about the consequences of some of the actions that they've taken and whether they'll want to do that again etc um, and it means that we've been able to keep them on the straight and narrow that sounds great. I'll definitely be trying that. My younger son might think it's a bit awkward at the first time, but I think it's something that's definitely worth trying because that's one of the things, as a, as a parent, and I look at I've got a six and a four-year-old, um, that I want is I want a relationship with my child that when they get to 15, 16, 17, 18, they can come and talk to me about whatever um, it is. One question, that, particularly when they're younger... How do you manage that balance of being a friend, which this time might be, versus a parent where they're well, you need rules and discipline? How does that? How does that work? So, special time is fifteen minutes a day, and the rest of the time you're their parent. Um, and in special time, you're still their parent, but you're just their parent without the. Um, the hat of I need to um, tell you off on if that makes sense so um, when I said to you my daughter phones me up and says can I have special time she knows that in special time I'm a slightly different person to the person that I am every other time do you see what I mean so then you can kind of you frame this time as time that they have to it's their time they can talk about what they want so the thing with it is is you said that your six-year-old might find it a bit awkward um the first time that you do it he needn't because you can just say to him this is 15 minutes for you to have this time to do whatever you want to do you can talk to me about anything anything that you say to me will be just between you and I you're not going to get in trouble for it And if he chooses to say nothing for the whole 15 minutes, that's completely his choice. And it's not for you to turn around and say, oh, tell me about this and do that. You might just turn around and say, actually, I'm going to tell you about some of the things that I used to get up to when I was a child. And by doing that, you start to open up the relationship so that he understands that you are not perfect sitting on a um, pedestal and um, different to him he is a boy you were a boy you completely understand and it just starts to build the foundations of what will become a true friendship once the parenting period is over Eventually, exactly because you can't. I I genuinely feel that you can't be your children's friend when they are under the age of kind of twenty odd, where they, you know, they need their parent. Um, They need us to set boundaries, and actually, if we're their friend, we're less likely to do that. So I think that we need to be parents to our children, to set boundaries for them, to keep them safe, um, to enable them to do as well as they can in an education system that 
isn't set up for them to win anyway so we need to to really be um to to be going the extra mile to ensure that they are successful um and we also need to make sure that there's um an avenue for them to release and to be able to tell us things and setting this up from the earliest possible opportunity really does pay dividends because what it will mean um is that i mean i can give you a clear example um my daughter went off on holiday um she she turned 18 um yeah she turned 18 went off to ibiza with some friends um her friends decided that they were going to try drugs while they were over there she phoned me said mum can i have some special time um they're doing this i'm not happy with that i want to come home and i booked her a flight home um and that's uh but but that is the power of being able to speak to your parent about what's going on um if she hadn't had that relationship with me. She may have felt that she couldn't tell anyone and needed to stay in the situation and may have gotten herself into more of a, a situation than she did. Do you see what I mean? Um, so That's it, powerful. That's really, it's, really powerful. It's the power of being able to kind of, like I say, so if you've been nurturing that relationship from day one, apart from anything else, she gets to start to think for herself. I didn't, I wasn't there. I didn't know anything about it. She could have just done it and then come home and told me about it afterwards. But she made a clear, conscious decision that even though my peers are doing this, I'm going to make a different choice. And and helping children to be emotionally intelligent, to understand that they have choices in their behaviour, to comprehend that they don't need to follow their peers and the status quo, um, comes from developing these skills bit by bit and having those conversations. Wow, that's I said that's truly powerful. And so the earlier the better. The earlier the better. So as soon as they can sort of talk? As soon as they can speak, they can have special time. Because they can... um, Special time might be um, looking through a particular book. It's whatever they want to do. Um, One of the things that I did um, with my youngest when she was very, very young was that I used to have... um, And now there are Charisma Kids toys that do this as well. Um, But I used to have a teddy... And um, I used to ask her how the Teddy was feeling. And she would tell me how Teddy was feeling. But it was just a portrayal of um, uh, everything that had happened to her for the day. So she will give Teddy all of her um, all of her feelings and then tell me about Teddy. And, and that's a great way of getting children to open up and to, um, to provide information about how they're feeling. Um, and then uh, if people are in to the EFT tapping that I mentioned earlier, um, tapping, getting that child to tap on the um, the meridian points of the teddy bear. There's a mirror neuron thing that happens that means that they start to free those emotions as well. So um, it's it's a really really fantastic tool um, for one when children are having a tantrum you can ask them tell me what's happened to Teddy why is Teddy sad and then they'll tell you exactly what's going on you can start to work out what the problem was give them some strategies to deal with the problem rather than throwing themselves on the floor you know look at what their choices are and whether they need to make one choice now so that they can do another thing later etc 
um, or um, if it's something that's genuinely made them sad, they can literally just tap on on the teddy and um, and then work through it. This has been really, really interesting. I've got a couple more questions actually. Sure. Um, I've been listening to some of your talks, and um, in one of them, you you talk about three things: um, positivity, balance, um, attitude of gratitude and engineered opportunities to be creative. I found them really quite interesting. Would you mind sort of talking a little bit more about those? I thought they were so quite interesting. Sure. So um, the, the positivity ratios um, is around um, something that Dr. Barbara Fredrickson in the US researched um, and is contained in her book, Positivity. And essentially what it says is that for every negative that occurs, we need three positives in order to, to keep the balance, the scales balanced. So um, I've had a really long day today, but if I had a bank of three good things that I could think about on the train journey here, it would energize me so that I'm able to give this podcast as though it was 9am in the morning and I was feeling fresh as a daisy. Which you have been. <laughs> so, um, but that is just because I decided to think about um, three things, one of them being a special place um, that I absolutely adore it's the balcony um, of an apartment in Jamaica that overlooks the sea and um, I wake up in the morning go out um, I feel the breeze on my face and um, I hear the crashing of the waves and then I see the boat and you can hear how graphic I'm being about this I'm picture there with you. I'm yeah there. exactly <laughs> and so blue skies um the smell of the sea air etc and so I put myself there um just for a few seconds and it actually makes me smile and you said I'm there I'm there with you and while you said that you smiled with me too and so it's a case of we can all do this um and we can teach children to do it too and if we have something negative happen and we think of three good things, um, it balances um, the the positivity ratio again for us so that we can move on with our day. So just going back to how we do that with kids. So the child comes back, I know he fell down in the playground, he's crying, he's sad. Initially, I think they'd struggle to do that. How, I guess you've got to be quite deliberate in getting there. So how, how, give me an example. So son comes or daughter comes back I've fallen down there crying. So I wouldn't wait until they've fallen down and crying um, to set up what I would call a happiness jar. So um, we're in your kitchen now and I would say that what we could do is find an old jam jar, um, wash it out, take the label off and call it a happiness jar. And then we can have our children draw pictures or write specific words um, that remind them of something that makes them happy. Um, and we get them to put as many things in that happiness jar over a period of time that they can so that when something happens and they need to, they can go to the happiness jar and they can take out a piece of paper and look at something that makes them feel, I can just recall it in my head now because I'm an adult, but actually if they look at that picture or they look at that word or they look at whatever it is that is associated with the happy thing, um, then they'll be fine. So every 
every time you go to Chessington or um, they have an amazing time um, on a day out or they spend time with their grandparents and someone lifts them up into the sky and makes them fly, um, get them to draw a picture of it or to write a word that reminds them of that so that when they need to call upon it, they have it there ready. Nice. No, really nice. Um, An attitude of gratitude? So an attitude of gratitude is um, is centred around um, something that I kind of created for Moodville, which is Gratitude Garden. And in Gratitude Gardens, we ha- have a wall of thanks. It's very similar to the happiness jar. What are the things that we're thankful for? What are the things that we're grateful for? Um, how can we find at least three things a day that we are grateful for? And if we can do that um, on an, each evening before we go to bed and go to sleep on those beautiful feelings, um, it's a much more empowering way to kind of go to sleep and then sleep peacefully wake up and start the day um so that works particularly well for children who struggle with nightmares um and indeed bedwetting um because they can go to bed thinking about things that they are grateful for and if they are primed by parents to um to understand that when they have a dream about going to the toilet they need to get up and go to the toilet um, and they go to sleep calm, it's highly unlikely that they will continue to wet the bed. Brilliant. Then finally, engineered opportunity to be creative. I think that, that seems self-explanatory. Um, it is. Give us some examples, though, because um, it, for some it may not necessarily be, be that. So that an thing. engineered opportunity to be creative would be that um, you a child um, is... Um, at home and frustrated because they don't know which game they want to play and they're feeling a bit tired and so they decide to have a tantrum instead of um, playing Um, or there's someone that pops around and they need to share and they don't want to share etc so there are a couple of things here Um, and sorry this is going to be a bit of a longer answer than you um, than you may be anticipating. That's no, absolutely fine. Um, but there are a couple of things that I want to cover. So first of all, um, I think that we as parents need to put ourselves into the shoes of children whenever we're going to tell them off. Because when children don't share, and I'm doing my inverted commas again, um, uh, we get embarrassed as parents because it seems as though um, we haven't brought them up well. Um, but then I'd like to kind of put that into context um, a little bit and say that if I came here and started to just pick up everything that I saw um, and decided that because it's in your house and I'm in your house right now, I'm allowed to take your stuff and play with your stuff and do what I want with your stuff, you probably wouldn't be very happy. Um, It's a territorial response for children to kind of say, no, it's mine and pick it up and and want to hold on to it. And it's exactly what we do um, whenever somebody comes to take our stuff. Otherwise, theft wouldn't be a crime so 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 there's a there's a kind of you know there's a there's a bit of balance that we need to have as parents when we're admonishing our children for doing something I think um and then it's a case of turning around and if they didn't want to share for instance rather than just telling them off for not wanting to share 
um, helping them to see creatively that there are a few choices that they have because there's more than likely more than one toy or one game that they could be playing. So what are the different choices that they have? And so how can we assess the situation, um, be mindful of some of the choices that are there and then turn around and, and make a choice. Um, and so it's looking at breaking things down for the child in terms of what's the problem, what are the various solutions that are available. Yes, you could play with that bunny that this person has come and picked up, but there's also that pram and there's also um, that um, chalkboard and there's also that car over there would you like to play with any of those other toys and if you did want to play with any of those other toys could we or, or if you didn't could we have you play with the bunny for five minutes and then have him or her play with the bunny for five minutes after that so it's just really starting to look at how we can open up choices look at how we might start to negotiate um, and start to teach children those skills rather than just saying you're not sharing it means you're a bad boy etc um, and and telling them off so that's creativity and and problem solving I think that's something that a lot of parents can relate to <laughs> yeah yeah for sure. Um, for sure I have to say I found this really really interesting insightful I've learned a lot um, What what's next for Charisma Kids so um for me i think i am um going to look at um starting something that supports parents um i'd like to build something that um that supports parents from the point at which they decide to conceive right up until their child's second birthday at which point charisma kids could kick in um, and it's about looking at how we help parents to develop those emotional intelligence skills um, those well-being um, skills and traits so that they can become their child's best first teacher and then continue those lessons right the way through their children's lives um, I think that for charisma kids I'm hoping that it will continue to grow that people will continue to use it um, continue to be inspired by it um, and and that children will continue to develop emotional intelligence skills because of it. Great. Um, for anyone that wants to find out more about you, Erica, um, where should they go? What do they do? Where do they look? So Charisma Kids is um, www.charismakids.co.uk and that's K-A-R-I-S-M-A-K-I-D-Z .co.uk so charismakids.co.uk um, and um, my email is erica e-r-i-k-a at getele g-e-t-e-i-l-e dot com um, and ely will be the um, the product that supports parents so if anyone is pregnant um, or has a baby under two then please do come and see us at, at getele.com um, and if you have a child that's between the ages of three and eight then go ahead and download charisma kids Thank you very much, Erica. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, John. I really hope you enjoyed listening to the episode as much as I enjoyed doing it. Remember, you can subscribe for free to get notifications whenever a new episode is released. Of course, reviews and ratings are always welcome. And finally, if you want to get in touch, you can do so by email 
using lessonsoutside at gmail.com. <laughs>